Well, let's give God another hand because over 400 years he made himself available. Well, my name's Patrick and uh, I serve on staff here at Crossroads. We are so glad that you're with us. I wanna give a big shout out uh, to those of you who are worshiping with us on Facebook Live or uh, you're at Crossroads West. We are glad that you are here and honored uh, that you're taking time to celebrate your holiday with us here at Crossroads. Now, by a show of hands, how many of you look forward to receiving Christmas cards every single year? Anybody? Okay, like six of us, that's better than last hour. Um, Well, Sometimes I get this impression that people use Christmas cards to tell others how perfect their family is. Do you know what I'm saying? A couple days ago, I came across a more honest card, okay? And uh, I wanna read it to you. It it goes like this. This family says, Landon is our precious and super annoying three-year-old. He whines all the time. Most of the artwork that he brings home from the church nursery is just flat out awful. He's our pride and joy as well as the source of our drinking problem. (laughs) Hunter's our energetic yet surprising unathletic nine-year-old boy who just got cut from a soccer team that doesn't even keep score in their games. (laughs) As far as us, Tom and Lisa, somehow we are still married after all these years. Tom still tucks his t-shirt into his jeans and just took money from our retirement account to buy a brand new fishing boat. Merry Christmas from our family to yours. Now, I don't know if that describes your family or not, uh, but somewhere we, we feel this pressure when we come to church to put on this kind of Christmas card version of ourselves. And, and if it's been a while since you've been to church, I just want you to know that you don't have to be perfect. And none of us are perfect. You are sitting beside people that have out you 10 to one. Okay, I promise you that. And uh, we are just glad that, that you're here. Now, believe it or not, Christmas is about celebrating this moment in time when light kind of started this war with darkness. That doesn't sound all cheerful and bright, but when we get back to it, that's really what the Christmas story is all about. And so we're gonna look at a story today that uh, looks at the meaning of Christmas from a completely different angle. If you have your Bibles or Bible app, I want you to go ahead and turn to the book of John, all right? There should be a Bible right in front of you. Uh, John can be found towards the back of the Bible. It goes like this, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the one book that, uh, there are four different Johns in the Bible. It's the one that does not have a number uh, before it, okay? And uh, we're gonna be in chapter 11. Now understand as you're turning there that the book of John serves as kind of like a biography on the life of Jesus, all right? John was one of Jesus' closest friends, walked with him, saw him behind the scenes, and and provided this account for us so that at the very end of his book, he says that we may believe, that we may receive the light of Christ. Now, what's interesting is that from beginning to end, all throughout the book of John, we see this metaphor of light and darkness being contrasted. Well, what does light and darkness mean? Well, light usually represents freedom, truth, peace, holiness. In other words, the the way that we were designed to live, a better way to live, okay? And and darkness, on the other hand, it's symbolic for bondage. It's symbolic for blindness. It's kind of uh, like the absence of hope in our life. That's what darkness is. Now, if we're all honest with ourselves, we can not only see darkness out in the world, but there's darkness inside us as well. All right, when you feel the need to always be right whenever you get into an argument, that's darkness, right? When you feel lonely, when you feel like I'm empty, I'm not measuring up, that, that's darkness. 
Or when you're standing in the grocery line and it's a really long line and the clerk opens up another aisle beside you and you rush and push people to get out of the way so that you can be first and you're pretty sure that the people you just pushed out of the way go to your church, that's a confession. That's confession of darkness, right? Now, if we're all honest with ourselves, we wonder, well, what what are we gonna do with this problem? There's so much brokenness and pain in this world. What's the solution? There has to be something better out there. Just last month, uh, Ben Affleck was interviewed in USA Today before the premiere of a movie that he's in where he plays Batman. And uh, here's what he said in the interview with USA Today. And I think you can identify with it. He said, we're certainly in need of heroes in 2017. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world from natural to man-made disasters. And it's really scary. Part of the appeal of of this genre is wish fulfillment. Wouldn't it be nice if there was somebody who can save us from all of this, save us from ourselves, save us from the consequences of our actions and, and save us from people who are evil Don't you hope that something better is available? Haven't you wondered that before? And so we're gonna pick up in this story where two sisters, Mary and Martha, are walking through the darkest hour of their life. Their their brother, a guy by the name of Lazarus, is on the verge of death, he's sick. It just so happens that Lazarus is also a friend of Jesus, okay? Now, unfortunately, Jesus is out of town. He's doing something somewhere else, and he's nowhere to be found to perform a miracle that is needed to intervene so that Lazarus can live another day. And so Mary and Martha send a message to Jesus and say, Jesus, get back here as soon as you can. Your buddy Lazarus, is sick. Here's what we read how Jesus responded when he received this message. Check out chapter 11, verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. He stayed where he was for two more days. What in the world is that all about? I mean, it's as if Jesus was absent and silent in a moment when he was needed most. This was their darkest hour, and yet Jesus was nowhere to be found. Uh, Are are you kidding me, Jesus? I mean, I'm in an emergency situation. I could really use your help, and, and you stay put for two more days where you are? Haven't you been there before? And maybe you were taught or you believed for a long time that, that if you just had enough faith and cancer cells would never spread, cars would always stay on the right side of the road, he would always come back home to you. But then, but then you had this moment where your worst nightmare became reality. You looked up in God and said, God, what is your deal? I, I thought we had one. It's like God stayed where he was for two more days when you needed a miracle, when you needed him most. So what, what, what's taking place here? Now, check out what we read happened next. It's really, the story is getting uh, really interesting because Jesus is, is he, he knows that he's needed. He, he knows that, that they could use him and yet he, he continues to stay where, where he was. Verse 17, he finally shows up, but Lazarus has already died. Upon his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, back in the ancient world, you have to understand that the Jews believed that once you died, your soul kind of lingered around your physical body for at least three days in hopes of re-entering your body. But on the fourth day, that meant that if you still weren't, if you didn't come back to life, then all hope was lost. The fourth, 
excuse me, the fourth day represented darkness. It represented the defeat. It was like you had to accept the reality that your friend, your loved one was never coming back. The fourth day was significant because, because darkness had won. And so John says, Lazarus had been dead for four days. All hope had been lost. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 22, but, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. You see, Martha was trying to, to find light in the midst of her circumstance because it was the fourth day. Darkness had won. It had declared victory. She's searching for light. Let me time out right here for a minute. When darkness seems to be winning in your life, when you become aware of it, what where do you turn? What light do you go to? Some of us, we, we believe that the light can be found inside of us, right? That's why on amazon.com, there are more self-help books than ever before. Why? Because we believe that there's this inner power within us that we just need to tap into whenever life gets hard. And, and our culture says that if you just are just a little bit more determined, if you just had more self-confidence, you can make it through anything. It's about you, right? And yet the entire reason why Jesus was nailed to a cross is because a group of men just couldn't stand the fact that Jesus kept saying, hey, look, no matter how good you look, no matter how good you think you are, regardless of how many morals you abide by, regardless of the religion that you've been raised in, you can't do anything to earn a right relationship with me. You can't earn salvation. Why? We can't be the solution because we are the problem. Now, I don't like saying that. I don't like hearing that. Why is that? Because I have to admit that I'm not nearly as awesome as I think I am, <laughs> right? I mean, nobody is as impressed with your gym selfies as you are, okay? I hate to break it to you, but that's just true. I mean, we're born into this world believing that we're the center of the universe. It's, it's all about us, our needs, our wants being met. You see, religion is about people, us as humanity, reaching up to find God. But you see, Christmas is all about God's response to the fact that religion does not work. And so he sent Jesus to actually reach down and, and find us. And so if the light can't be found inside of us, some of us, we, we search for it around us. Well, what does that mean? Well, this is what we run to whenever life gets hard. Maybe it's a hobby, it's a career. Uh, it's that thing in your life that you are using to numb yourself to the reality of your circumstances, okay? So your marriage is on the rocks and so you avoid going home by spending more time hunting or shopping or, or out on the golf course, okay? We, we all tend to resort to different things in order to find relief in the midst of our darkness. And I don't know what that is for you, but it's only a matter of time until whatever it is that we're leaning our life on in that way is going to fail us and cause us to fall. Two Christmases ago, my wife, Savannah, uh, bought me one of those two-wheel hoverboards. Um, I've had so much fun on this thing over the past two years. And in fact, I use it to this day, every single day, to ride around our offices going from meeting to meeting. I just have a blast on this thing. Well, about three weeks ago, I got to the church office really early one morning. I thought I was the only person in the building. And so I went, I got on my hoverboard, was grabbing coffee on the other side of our offices. Well, on my way, I happened to bump into the only other person in our building, uh, our facilities manager, Larry Waters. I made small talk with with Larry, and then we both kind of parted ways uh, down uh, separate, separate directions, down the hallway, all right? Well, about five seconds later, after seeing Larry, I completely bite it on my hoverboard, all right? 
I mean, I fall flat on my face. I, I, I hit the ground and uh, my immediate reaction was, I, I hope Larry didn't just hear that. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I hope he didn't. That'd just be really awkward. And I thought he didn't. I thought I was, uh, I thought I got by with it. Well, lunchtime rolled around. I saw Larry and, and I just kind of said, hey, Larry, um, by any chance, did, did you happen to see or maybe hear me follow my hoverboard early this morning? And he said, well, you know, matter of fact, Patrick, yes, yes, I did. I'm so sorry that happened. And then he said this one little detail underneath his breath. He said, and by the way, we did, we did capture it on our security cameras. <laughs> Check this out. Uh, getting my coffee. All right, see you, Larry. Bye-bye. Boom. Mm, see Larry walking off in the background. and Yeah, let's do that in slow-mo. Boom. <laughs> you laugh. You've never ridden one. It's hard, all right? Now, you might be asking yourself right now, how could someone like Patrick, who has such superior athletic abilities, not catch himself when falling on the hoverboard? Well, you don't understand how a hoverboard works, okay? You are to lean, you're supposed to lean your body one direction, which indicates where you go on the hoverboard. Meanwhile, the motor kind of outbalances your weight so that you can stay on top of it. But when the battery cuts out, which is what happened there, there's nothing that's gonna keep you from falling and just biting the dust, all right? One time, Jesus, in one of his most famous hillside one day, and, and he was talking about several thousand people, and he said, you know, look, we're, we're all building our life on something. We're all looking for light in some area, and, and there are those of us at the end of the day that, that are building our life on the sand or on the rock, and, and when you look around you and you are looking to build your life upon things of this world that are just temporary, maybe it's your career, maybe it's your marriage, your, your kids, or that is where your hope is. It, it's only a matter of time until it just comes out from underneath you and your world comes crashing down. When the storms hit, Jesus said, when you build your house on the sand, things blow up. You fall flat on your face. But he said, for those of you that build your house on the rock upon my word, upon my promises, it doesn't mean that you'll be a storm-free life, but it means you'll have a storm-proof life. And so if this light, it can't be found inside of us, if it can't be found around us, is it possible? Is it possible that means that the light can be found beyond us? You see, if it could be found inside us or around us, then that really would have been pointless for, for Jesus to come. One of the very first times that Jesus was introduced, it was by a group of angels that they went to see these shepherds who were watching over their flock at night. And, and they say that, that a savior has been born. And so from the beginning, Jesus is referred to as this savior. What the angels didn't tell the shepherds that night is that you know, a great moral example is born in the town of Bethlehem or you know, a really great teacher that is just gonna blow you guys away has been born in a manger. Go and see him and worship him. No, he's specifically referred to as a savior. Why? Well, because Jesus had a single purpose for his life, and that was to rescue us, to meet a need that we couldn't meet ourselves, which is forgiveness. A savior has been born. That's how Jesus was introduced. And Jesus knew that being a savior of the world meant facing the darkness at every turn. Take a look at how Jesus reacted to those who attended the funeral for his buddy Lazarus. 
Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, Jesus was, was deeply moved in spirit and, and troubled. Now, now saying that Jesus was troubled is kind of a, a sanitized version of saying that, that Jesus was really angry. He was furious. He was irate as he stood at this funeral looking at the pain and the darkness that was around him. Why? Because as the creator God, as the God who made you, as the God who sees you as valuable, he never designed for us to experience pain, loss, grief, brokenness, darkness, darkness, right, funerals, divorce attorneys, small caskets, medical bills, homelessness, they were, those were never things that God intended for us to experience. And so as he's caught in the middle of this circumstance, he's just angry, he's furious. And so at this funeral for Lazarus, Jesus decided to do the unthinkable and actually run after the darkness. Now he confronted death. We know that he confronted death by commanding that the stone be removed that was covering the tomb. But when Martha realized what Jesus was about to do, she tried to stop him. Maybe she thought, well, you're just gonna end up humiliated. Jesus, you don't wanna see what's beyond that stone, okay? Check out how she responded in verse 39. But Lord said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there's a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. You see, Martha was trying to protect Jesus from being humiliated. He was trying to, she was trying to protect Jesus from the darkness that was just beyond that stone. And Jesus said, but, but roll that stone away. But, but Jesus, there's a bad odor in there. But Jesus said, roll that stone away. But, but Jesus, you're, you're not gonna like what you see behind there. But Jesus said, roll that stone away. But, but Jesus, you, that's my worst moment that I think defines me. And, and I don't want anybody else to know about it because if you see it, then you're gonna be disappointed in who I am. And there's no way, Jesus, that you would actually accept me if you knew what was behind that stone. Behind that stone, Jesus, is unbelief, it's doubt. It's, it's that one night that happened in college that, that just continues to reoccur in my mind over and over over and over again. But you know what? Jesus was not afraid. He didn't flinch. He didn't cover his eyes. He didn't cover his nose. He ran towards the darkness and he stared at it in the face, just like a fearless warrior would do. Why? Because that's who Jesus is. He commanded that Lazarus come back to life. He defeated the darkness and defied death in that moment. Now, here's what we can't miss, okay? Here's what we can't miss. Lazarus walked out of that tomb. Why? Because a day was coming when Jesus would walk into the tomb. The only way Jesus, that Lazarus was able to walk out of the tomb is because Jesus took his place by walking into the tomb. A man by the name of Isaiah told the Christmas story like this. You've probably heard it before. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For, for those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. I don't know what kind of darkness you've walked through this past year. I don't know what kind of pain, brokenness, or grief that you've encountered, but, but I bet if we were to be honest with ourselves, you're searching, you want something better. You often ask yourself, this can't be all there is. Isn't there light at the end of the tunnel? Now, here's the thing. I don't know where you are searching for light. I don't know what you're clinging on to for hope, but I do know that if it's not Christ and you're continuing to search, you will continue to end up in this place where you're lacking fulfillment and purpose and, and you're never really gonna grab onto the light if you keep going to all the places that you've gone to before. Let me say it like this. Jesus is that light that is gonna continue to shine when all other lights in our life refuse to shine. 
He is that light that that is going to continue to shine in the darkness when all other lights go out. And it's really easy for us, you know, to make decisions for other people that we know are best, but it's going to cost us a little bit, right? For example, I love taking my kids to McDonald's and they love ordering a Happy Meal. When you order a Happy Meal, you all of a sudden have an option. They say, do you want a fruit cup or do you want fries? Now, it's easy for me as the father to say, well, they want a fruit cup. Why? Because a fruit cup is best. It's what's healthiest. And so here's typically how this works. Once I order a Happy Meal, I will order them a fruit cup and a large fry for myself. Right? There's no cost involved for me. And you probably expect to hear the pastor say, you know, Jesus is that light that's gonna shine when all other lights go out. He's the answer, he's what you're looking for. It's easy for me to say because I'm not in your situation. I haven't walked a mile in your shoes. But what if the pain of continuing to avoid Christ will be far greater in the end than the pain that it's gonna cost to, to actually receive Christ? When Jesus showed up at this funeral, Martha welcomed Christ and told him that that Lazarus had died. And and here's what Jesus said back to her in verse 25. He said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes, the one who believes in me, even though they may die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he said this. And then he said, Martha, do, do, do you believe this? And so that, that's the invitation that I wanna put before you tonight. Do, do you believe this? Do you accept that Jesus really is that light that will continue to shine when all other lights go out? Do you believe that he really is who he said he was? That, that said he is? And, and understand that, that to believe in Christ doesn't mean that you have to have all your questions answered. It doesn't mean that you're never gonna have any doubts. It doesn't mean that you have stuff figured out. It, it just means that you've come to this place in your life where, where you're at the end of your rope. You're tired of searching for the light in all the wrong places. And you finally come to this place where you say, Jesus, you are it. Will you receive me? And he'll welcome you home. And if that's a decision you wanna make tonight, or maybe a decision you at least want to consider, here's what I want you to do for the next few minutes, okay? This is not a decision you want to take lightly. We're going to sing some songs, and I just want you to think about, do I need to, do I need to make this my moment of belief where I say, okay, Christ, I believe in who you are. I'm tired of looking for hope and significance in all the wrong places. It's found in you and you alone. I want you to take a card that's right in front of you, and on the top it just says, I have decided. I want you to fill that out. In the next few minutes, fill that out. Let us know if you made that decision tonight. Now, what we're gonna do is we're gonna follow up with you. Why? Because following Christ, it's not something you have to do by yourself. Following Christ is something that we do together. Why? Because none of us have it figured out. We wanna be on this journey with, with you. So if you wanna make that decision, let us know by filling out that card. Right now, our ushers are are passing the trays. And and what we're going to do is we're going to take communion as a church. We do this every week. And and we invite you to participate if if you're comfortable with it. And if you're not, just let the trays go on by you. No big deal. On those trays, there are two cups stacked on top of each other. On the the bottom, there's this this bread. And and then there's juice on top. And we're going to do this together. But you might be asking yourself, well, what's the significance of this? This is kind of weird. Well, that bread represents the body of Jesus when when he went to the cross in our place and that that juice, it represents his blood that was shed and poured on our behalf. Why? So that we could find forgiveness. 
But we know that the cross is not the end of the story. No, we have hope today, not because, of Je- not because Jesus died. We have hope today because Jesus lived. And, and one day we can live with this promise and hope that we will walk out of our grave because Jesus walked into ours 2,000 years ago. And so let's, let's take this together. Let's first eat this bread. Again, this represents the body of Jesus. Let's drink the juice, which represents his blood. Jesus was born into this world to die, but death didn't have its final say. He conquered the grave so that we can have hope here, now, and today. Let's pray. God, I know a lot of us, we we carry some darkness and baggage in here today, and and we don't know how we're gonna make it. We don't know how we're gonna even make it through the next few days because we're gonna see him or we're gonna deal with the reality of divorce. And, and there's, some of us just feel hopeless right now. We wonder, God, is there light? Is there hope? Would you just remind us in a way unlike ever before that, that there is, and there is hope, not because you avoided darkness 2000 years ago, but you entered this, this broken world and actually ran towards darkness. You are the light. Would you remind us of that over and over again? It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.